Good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. Hey, I just got to say, that is so awesome, isn't it? That's what it's all about. <laughs> I was just talking um, to my wife, and uh, it's really cool. Dermot, where's Dermot? He's probably getting changed. One of our first kids, first family in our kids' ministry, and we were in this tiny little event center room across the, uh, the way, and we prayed for a whole year. God, bring some kids, bring some families, right? And now they're everywhere, and we're so glad. And you know, the, the value and the incredible thing about our kids' ministry and youth ministry, uh, these are primary. These, this is a huge value for us. We put a lot of energy into kids and youth here, and it's because... You know what? I, how many of you decided to follow Jesus when you were a kid or a youth? Hold your hand up. Yeah, look around. That's why this is so important. And we love you grown-ups too. Um, <laughs> but the youth and the kids have a really special place in our hearts. And so we're so excited for all of you that are making commitments to follow Jesus. And on that note, I'm going to release the kids because I think you'd rather go hang out with your awesome kids ministry people then listen to me today. All right. Hey, uh, I have two things I need to tell you about real quick before we dive into the message. The first one is a youth heads up. In a couple weeks, we've got a, a youth parents night. So a parents info night. So talk to your youth leaders and make sure you get that on your calendar. The second thing is life groups are getting ready to start up in September. And community is such a huge and important part. If we are reminded of anything this year, it's how important community and relationships are, I think. And so I encourage you as those get ready to, to ramp up, you can begin to sign up for those by either going to our website or Jason, who is baptizing up here. Talk to Jason, and he'll get you connected to a group. Well, let's get to what we're talking about, and if you're joining us for the first time or for the first time in a while, we have been in the book of Exodus for most of this year, and right now we're in a series called Decalogue. Decalogue is another name for the Ten Commandments, and it's we've been discovering some really incredible truths um, that go way deeper than things that many of us learned or experienced growing up. And to get us where we're headed here today, let me just say, generally speaking, you have a couple types of people uh, in the world. I know this is a, you know, overgeneralization, but you have driven type A people and laid back people, right? And I love laid back people. I think you probably enjoy life more. Um, I'm kind of classic type A in many ways. I constantly like to tweak and improve. Uh, my dad's a lot like this, too. My mom jokes around that we always have to have some sort of building or remodeling project going, you know. Um, anybody identify in the room? You have a hard time slowing down, progress-oriented, not happy unless you're moving something forward. Anybody? Just a few of you. You're like, we don't raise hands in church. <laughs> we get called on if we raise our hands in church. So here's the thing. Today, if you are more laid back, this message will be easy for you. You're going to be like, duh, check, like, you know, got this dialed in. But this, today's message could be particularly challenging for those that see yourself more type A and driven, like the kind of people that always need something to conquer. And before we get to the commandment today, um, I want to give you just a real quick recap of what we've discovered over the past 
few weeks. And, and to catch you up, the foundational truth of this series is that before God ever gets around to giving his people the Ten Commandments, and then, you know, that's kind of the chapter headings, then the rest of the law in the first five books of the Bible, God does this incredible thing for his people. He says, I want to be your savior. I want to be your rescuer. I want to be your deliverer. And at the first Passover, the way he invites them into relationship with a simple uh, simple step, a simple illustration of their trust in him, painting the blood of the Passover lamb on the doors. He says, I want you to trust me. And you're in, you're my people, I'm your God. He invites them into relationship. And this is so fundamental because as we go through these commandments, what people tend to think is somehow if I can just tip the scales and do well enough, that God will be interested in me, that God will want to have a relationship with me, that God will pay attention to me. And that is not the message of the Old Testament or the New Testament. What we discovered, the foundational truth of the series, is that it's always been about responding to God with trust and loyal love, trusting him that he is who he says he is, that he is good, that he's interested as he reaches out to a relationship. And then that, that trust is illustrated then in a loyal love, in a response to him that wants to, out of a gratitude for what he's done, wants to obey him. And so that's the foundational truth. Now, over the past couple of weeks, we've looked at the first three commandments. And you can go back and catch up. I encourage you to do that either uh, online on our church online or uh, on our audio podcast. The first three commandments are all about honoring God and making sure he's at the center of our lives. And then the rest of the commandments really flow out of that. And this really brings us today to the fourth commandment. And it's actually kind of strange that you find this commandment in the top 10 if you stop to think about it, especially that it's number four, it's before don't kill, don't steal, don't commit adultery, you know, the ones that almost everybody on the street can, can name, the rest of them they can't really name so much, you know, but those three, and it comes before that. And you might find that a little bit odd. And to, here's today's commandment. Here's what we're going to look at. Today's commandment is this. Thou shalt take a day off. <laughs> now, if you don't believe God is good, I just would say, are you kidding? In his top 10, he told you take a day off. That's, that's a good God right there, right? Why would God include this in his top 10? And why as number four before so many of the others. And now as we get to the scripture today, we're going to see that it actually goes much deeper than just taking a day off. In fact, um, this commandment and the explanation for it, this commandment has more explanation, more words around it than any of the rest of the commandments. And I think it's because God really wants to get this point across to them and make it clear. But also, I think it's because he knew this would be really hard for his people to keep. And it did prove really hard over the history of the nation of Israel. And so, here's the actual commandment in Exodus 20, verse 8. It says this, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. So he says, remember, it's not just, hey, remember it. It literally is, is the idea of observe, keep, never forget the Sabbath. Never forget the Sabbath. 
by keeping it holy or set apart, literally different from the rest. Keep it holy. Make this day holy and remember the Sabbath day. Now, Sabbath is a noun that came from a verb that basically means rest or don't work. If you think of Google, Google is a, is a noun that we turned into a verb, right? You Google something. This is the opposite of that. This is a verb that was turned into a noun that means rest or don't work. And for the people of Israel, what this meant is one day per week, on, on, on the sixth day, the sun goes down, and you just hit pause. You stop. You rest until the sun goes down on the seventh day. Now, if you're thinking, okay, that's, that's cool, but that just sounds a little impractical, a little outdated in our current culture, you know, when you compare it and look around at your industry, your schedule, whatever, you know, if you're thinking, well, that, this just, you know, obviously this was, doesn't apply to me today. Remember, this was given to a group of people who just came out of slavery. All they knew was working all the time. I mean, if you had family needs and stuff you had to get done for your family, it had to fit, you know, when you weren't working, you didn't get a day off. You, you worked backbreaking work, and that was all you knew. It was a hand-to-mouth culture, no refrigeration. If you took a day off, you might not make it, right? You, you might not make it in this culture. And so if you think that taking a 24-hour period off and just pausing, you know, you who have refrigeration, money in the bank, running water, air conditioners, bank accounts, right? Think about how this sounded to them in this culture where all they'd ever known is you just work, 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 work just to survive, right? So God didn't just throw this commandment in the top 10 as sort of a by the way, or this wasn't actually just the first introduction of this as he's getting to giving them the law finally, you know, three months after he delivered them out of Egypt. Um, I think God knew this was going to be a really hard one for them to wrap their minds around. And so he introduces the principle of the Sabbath to them earlier in this in a very deep and practical way. And I want to remind you, we're going to go back. Um, I can't remember when we went through this. I think in March or April, but we're going to go back and just remind you. I don't think we spent a lot of time on it, but I want to remind you of w when God first institutes and when God first teaches them the principle of the Sabbath. And so as he's rescued them, as he's brought them out of Egypt, as he's delivered them, as he's brought them through the Red Sea, it's a huge people group, a million to two million plus people as they're coming out of Egypt. And he brings them out and they're in the middle of the wilderness. And before long, they begin to run out of food and they get hangry. Remember we talked about getting hangry? Some of you get hangry. You're not very nice to be around. They get hangry. They start grumbling and complaining against God. And God says, okay, I'm going to provide for these people. And here's what, how he provides in chapter 16, verse 13. It says, that evening, quail came and covered the camp. In the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. Frosted flakes. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? For they did not know what it was. What is it? Literally means manna, okay? What is it? That's the word. Uh, Moses said to them, it is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. 
Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. Omer, enough for one person, right? The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some gathered little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who had gathered much did not have too much. And the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. That's cool. Then Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it until the morning. Now think about this. You've, your subsistence, you've been starving, literally beginning, you're getting hungry. You realize you're in the desert with, you know, a million plus other people with no food around. And all of a sudden you have food in your tent. And Moses says, just eat what you need tonight and throw the rest away. Don't keep any of it till the morning. You're like, I don't think so. I mean... We know, you know, we may not get this chance tomorrow. I'm going to hoard and keep as much of this as I can, right? And so um, it says in verse 20, however, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until the morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. And if you have kids like that hide stuff under their bed, you can like, uh, you know, identify with this. You hid what under your bed, right? Ew, it starts to smell. It has maggots. So here's how God provides for them. Each morning, everyone gathered as much as they needed. So this happens, you know, throughout the week here. Everyone gathered. And when the sun grew hot, it melted away. Now, this is cool. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much. Two omers for each person. And the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. So this is what they're told to do. Gather twice as much on the sixth day. And Moses came to them. He said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil and save whatever is left and keep it until morning. So they saved it until morning as Moses had commanded, and it did not stink or get maggots in it. That's cool, right? Can you imagine how nervous they were after that first incident as they left, you know, a full portion of the stuff laying out on the counter? But it's good in the morning. And Moses said, um, verse 25, eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. Verse 31, the people of Israel called the bread manna. It was like white coriander seed and tasted like wafers made with honey. Now, here's the amazing thing about this. As as you hear about this manna, It was literally, God says, here's what I'm going to do to illustrate this principle to you. I am going to provide your daily bread. Each and every day, I'm going to provide your daily bread. Now, you've heard that phrase, daily bread, before, haven't you? Where does that phrase come from? The Lord's Prayer. And Jesus references this. And here's the idea, is is God says, I'm going to institute a weekly, a very practical reminder, because I know this is a hard thing for you coming out of just barely surviving. You're not going to understand this. This is going to be really hard for you to understand. But I'm going to institute a daily reminder that you can trust me as your source, as your provider. Just like Jesus says, when you pray, what do you pray? Give us this day our daily bread. 
Lord, we're acknowledging you as our provider, right? So God institutes this weekly, this daily, and then weekly reminder that people are dependent on him. His people are dependent on him. And today I have three critical things that the Sabbath does for us. This isn't just a principle that applies to people uh, 3,500 years ago. This is a a principle that applies to us as God's people, as followers of Jesus here today. And the first one is this, that Sabbath reminds you that God is your source. Sabbath reminds you that God is your source. It's an exercise in trust. Now, the thought to us of taking a day to just pause and kind of rest, uh, I mean, our culture has different um, ideas about that, right? It's like, yeah, of course, a weekend, right? But this is so foreign for them. But I want to show how I think this applies at a little bit deeper level, because I think at our core, we don't do a very good job of this for many, many people, especially if you're a type A driven person. But it's an exercise in trust that you're only going to gather for six days, but I'm going to give you seven days worth of provision. You're going to work six days. I'm going to give you seven days worth of provision. That's that's really cool. And this is the point that God is trying to make. You're not your source. You're not your ultimate provider. I'm your ultimate provider. And so I'm going to give you this very, very practical reminder. You work six days. I give you seven days worth of provision. It's a very similar concept to what he'll institute a little while later um, down the road in Leviticus on the idea of tithing. That you're going to give a tenth, but somehow I'm going to still be your provider. I want to remind you that I'm your source, and you're going to get more done with what's left. It's, it's the same idea as that. And later on, um, towards the end of the, the Old Testament, God says, test me in this, right? Don't just see how I'm your provider. See if you obey. Test me in this. Now, God starts this in the desert. They don't really have a choice. You get that, right? I mean, there's no choice. You go out, you gather your food in the morning. If it's a sixth day, you better gather twice as much. So he is teaching them. They don't have a choice, but he is teaching them daily and weekly that he's their provider. But this lesson isn't just for the desert for them. This isn't just a lesson of, hey, I can provide for you in the desert. What he's, as he institutes this into the very fabric of their society, into the very laws of the society, the point is this. He knows he's going to bring them out of this desert. He's going to deliver them. He's going to bring them to the promised land. He's going to bring them into their inheritance. And when they get there, they're going to be wealthy. They're going to be successful. They're going to be powerful. Nations would come to them. And when that happens, later in in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, he says, when that happens, I don't want you to forget the source, your source, who's your provider. Don't start thinking, I did this for myself. Don't start thinking, look at what my power, my wisdom, my initiative accomplished on my behalf. I gave you gifts and I expect you to use them and work hard. But ultimately, I want you to, I need you to, you got to remember who your source is. And so to do this, God purposely guides his people into a structure that automatically makes them feel like they're falling behind. You get that, right? You you work six days and hit pause. (gasps) And some of you can feel that if you're really type A, right? It's like, whoa, I'm going to fall behind. And God is saying, hey, 
Productivity is important, but dependence on me is more important. Advancement in life is important. God actually placed humankind on this earth to advance and develop and care for, to have stewardship over this earth, right? Work is a good thing. Work came along before. God gave purpose and meaning um, and a job to do to humanity before the curse, right? Work's a good thing. But he says more important than productivity is relationship with me. It's you understanding it's you trusting me. And so because of that, I'm going to show you if, you, if you trust me in this, I'm going to provide seven days worth of provision for only six days of your effort. Isn't that cool? Now, if you're sitting there thinking, yeah, that's great in 1500 BC in an agricultural society, but seriously, I mean, we live in the modern age, right? This just doesn't work in my industry. This doesn't work in the business world. Let me tell you about a business that instituted this principle. I think some of you have heard of it. It's called Chick-fil-A, right? Some of you have genuine heartfelt um, angst and pain because ours shut down for a few months to remodel. <laughs> Who are you out there? I know you're there. Yeah, I've heard of a lot of you complaining about it. Okay. This is a, so when, when Truett Cathy founded this, he just had a conviction. He, he would not work on Sundays. And he said, I'm not going to make my employees do this. And so he said, revenue is important, but dependence on God is more important. And so from the beginning, they closed on Sundays. Was that a great business decision? I don't know. Here's what 24-7 Wall Street says about this. Chick-fil-A earned $10.46 billion in U.S. system-wide sales in 2018, despite being closed every Sunday, missing out on 14% of possible open business days, likely cost the chain more than $1 billion. That's a lot of money. $1 billion left on the table, right? But Truett Cathy's uh, son, who, who now operates the company, Dan Cathy, he, he said this he, in, in response to this. He's like, hey, um, actually, I think our company may gain more revenue by being closed on Sundays. He said, if we can let employees take a day off, live and breathe, they come in with more enthusiasm on Monday, plus a little bit more on you know, Tuesday, the rest of the week. He says it more than offsets. He's like, I know this defies accountant's logic. But it more than offsets the fact that we close everything down on Sunday. He says, it's worked great for us. And I think most of you would attest, other than the fact that you come to this service. Hey, if you come Saturday night service, you can go eat Chick-fil-A afterwards as soon as they open. That's a great, that's a great reason to you know, come try out Saturday night, um, especially in this season as we grow and things get a little tighter, you know, um, help spread it out. Uh, so yeah, but... You would say, this has worked. Was it a good business decision? Probably most people would say no. And yet it was something done out of conviction, right? All right, flip back to Exodus chapter 20. Picking back up in verse 10, and, and listen to how specific God gets with this instruction to make sure they don't try to wiggle out of this command. So he says, on six days, do all your work. The seventh is the Sabbath. Verse 10, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter. So you see two things. It's a Sabbath to the Lord your God. 
to the Lord your God. In other words, this isn't just, the Sabbath day isn't just about just rest. Rest is good. Rest is part of the equation. Rest is why we're doing this, but it isn't just for that. It's a rest to God. He says, keep it holy, right? And so there's an idea here that the, one of the reasons you pause is because you work very hard all week long focusing on stuff. And this pause of a day is a chance for you to offer life back to God, to reconnect with God, to say, God, to be reminded of this fact that, God, you're so awesome. You're my creator. To build relationship with God, right? It's about, it's a day to worship. It's a day to worship the Lord, right? Now, for many of you, uh, some of you, you know, really try hard to take this day and, and, and keep it separate. And some of you, uh, you know, this falls on our service times, right? But the idea here is that this is a time, it's to the Lord. You shall not do any work, but it's not just about relationship with God. It's you don't do any work and you can't send your kids out to do all the work. You know, you nor your son nor daughter. In other words, um, God wants you to take some time to slow down. And part of the fabric of the, the Sabbath and what was so powerful about this for thousands of years was the family connection that happens. When you take a day and you set it aside and you hit pause and you spend time together. I mean, think about it, especially in this culture, right? In this culture where you're in a tent in the desert there's no, you know, streaming Netflix. You don't have that. You don't have Xbox 360. You don't have all the distractions, you know, the fun park down the road and stuff. It's, it's literally, um, what are you going to do when you hit pause? You're going to have long meals together. You're going to sit under the tree. You're going to talk and look each other in the eyes and smile and, and have conversation. It's going to build the fabric of society. It's going to build that relational connectedness, right? And so here's the second thing that Sabbath does, that the principle of Sabbath does for humanity. It's Sabbath helps your relationships thrive. Both your relationship with God, really the heart behind the Sabbath is slowing down and hanging out with God and hanging out with other people. Of spending time with God, that you connect with God, that you connect with people that love God, that you build relationships that you spend time hanging out with others. It's a time of family connection. That time where you're supposed to take some time to relationally connect with each other, to pause. And some of you remember this because you grew up with this every Sunday or every you know, Friday or Saturday growing up. You, the point, the weekly rhythm is you went to extended family's house and you spent most of the day connecting relationally, right? And in the speed of our culture, many of you have lost that. Many of you have lost those connections with, you know, family members and relationships and friends. You're just always on the go, Right? Sabbath helps your relationships thrive, your relationship with God and your relationship with others. He goes on in verse 10. Um, this verse continues. So, so, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son nor your daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. 
No wiggle room. This isn't like, you know, okay, I get a break, but I'm going to hire a bunch of other people. Or, you know, in this day, uh, servants here, people would, sell, would get indebted. And one of the ways they could pay off that debt um, was uh, indentured servitude, essentially, right? And he says, no, no loophole here. You can't just hire somebody else in order to, you know, do all your stuff for you, for your advancement on this day. Now, they tried to get out of this and have loopholes around this um, further in Scripture. It's interesting. They said, well, it says foreigner, like a foreigner residing in your town. And so they tried to get around this and have loopholes around this. In fact, what they would do is go, well, we have foreigners, so let's hire foreigners. Literally in the Hebrew, it's inside your gates. So they said, let's hire foreigners outside the gates. We'll have them do the business and come back and report to us. And God said, oh, no, you're missing the point. You're missing the point. And here's, here's what you got to understand about this. Your, your servants, your animals, any foreigner. This scripture is revolutionary in the timeline of world history. There is no parallel in ancient history where servants and animals and foreigners were protected and given a day of rest. This is, when you flash back, this is unparalleled and it's revolutionary at this point in world history. And God says, I care about you and I care about your rest, even your animals. And here's the third thing that Sabbath does for humanity. Sabbath indicates you are free. Sabbath indicates you're free. And, and right here in scripture, even, even for, for animals, even for um, servants, it's like showing there's a higher law here. In the way we treat others, there's a higher law. And he, God, the second time that Moses uh, kind of recaps the Ten Commandments for him, when he gets to the Sabbath, he gives him this explanation. Um, when you go down further in the, in the Torah, he gives him this explanation. He says, this is about the fact that you were in slavery and God saw you and he rescued you and he redeemed you and he made you a free people and he wants you to be a free people. And part of that is Sabbath. It's an indication you're free because when you're a slave, you don't get to take a day off. When you're owned by someone, you don't get to take a day off. And here, here's where this, I think, um, you know, gets real for us. In the New Testament, we're taught that you're a slave to whatever you let enslave you. And there are many families that have been destroyed and torn apart because somebody was a slave to financial success or status. Especially, this is especially a thing with driven type A people. It's really difficult. Somebody was a slave to success and status and financial improvement and the family lost and the family fell apart. You're a slave to whatever you let enslave you, to money, to success, even recreation, a hobby that, that goes too far, that completely steals away from these other things that God built this idea of rest on, you know, enjoying family, enjoying him, building relationships, even a hobby. 
can become anything. You remember the first two commandments, anything, anytime we let God be taken out of the center of our lives, anytime we try to put him up here on a shelf and sort of just add him as a component or a facet of our life that we interact with when we want to, and then kind of do our own thing. Anytime that happens, we end up becoming enslaved to something else that we place into the center of our lives. And there's no freedom in that. There's no life in that. There's no peace in that. And so God says to his people, I'm going to institute this thing. And part of the reason is because you were delivered out of slavery and I want you to stay free. I want you to be reminded that you're free. And God concludes this, this section by telling them why. What's the pattern? Why is he giving them this family rule, this law. Exodus 20, 11, it says, for in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. Everything, that includes you, nation of Israel. Remember, he's the one. In fact, Exodus can be seen as the deliverance, a work of new creation as he brings them out. You're no longer just this enslaved people. You're a new people. You are a people I'm bringing to life. The Lord made, for in six days, the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all that is in him. That includes you, type A person, with all your gifts and talents and the ability to get things done. God made that. You're here. You're here in a nation that affords you incredible opportunity. You didn't create that. You're here because of God. He's the source, right? He's the source. So he made that. That's why you're here but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy or set apart. Set apart as a day of remembering God as your source, as God as your provider. A day to deepen your relationship with God. A day to remind yourself that he is God and you are his creation. That he is your heavenly father and you are his child, a day to connect relationally with him, a day to connect relationally with those in your immediate family, with those brothers and sisters in Jesus, a day to serve, a day to love. It's supposed to be a blessing, a blessing. And so right in the top 10, he says, I'm instituting a day off for the whole nation because Sabbath reminds you that God is your source. Sabbath helps your relationships thrive, and Sabbath indicates that you're free. And so here's my challenge to you. Would you set up a personal Sabbath in your life? If you're like many people, uh, you think, yeah, yeah, you know, that's great for them 3,500 years ago. But we don't live in 1400 BC, just, you know, in my work, my reality just doesn't work. I have multiple email accounts that are always dinging, going off on my phone. You should turn those dingers off. That's just a little freebie. Um, it'll be good for your emotional, mental health. Trust me, I've researched this. Sorry, that's a side trail. But anyway, I have eight, I counted this morning. I have eight email accounts on my phone. You have social media and it goes off and there's this pressure because, you know, you get rated on the response time and you're like, <gasps> right? You're like, it just doesn't work. It doesn't work. 
I have to travel for my job, you know, to be somewhere, you know, it sounds great. I just don't think really this commandment still applies to me here today. Let me just tell you, the nation of Israel felt the same thing. They had to compete and trade with nations all around them who were open seven days a week. They had crops, markets, all kinds of stuff that had to be done, right? In fact, Amos, the prophet Amos at one point rebukes the greedy merchants fidgeting for the Sabbath to end. You just get this idea of like, when will it end so we can get back out and make money, right? So if you think like this idea of pausing and taking a day and really like not accomplishing anything is like gives you anxiety and stress, trust me, they did too. They were driven by success and progress, just like you are, just like I am. But God looks at them and says, hey, progress is good. Moving forward is good, but your trust and your dependence on me is critical. Your relationship with me and other people is critical. So don't think somehow, you know, this principle doesn't apply to you today. Take this one step further because some of you are like, you know, I think our other response as Americans to this is like, one day, ha, nothing, I get a full weekend, right? But here's the thing, for many of you, you, you still never hit pause. Like 80% of your days off are all about advancing success and projects or progress in your life. Um, your project list on your day off is bigger than during the work week. You get to Monday exhausted. I gotta work on the house, get these things done. It's my biggest investment on building equity, right? And you get to Monday exhausted on a consistent basis, right? Or your kids are in so many different sports and recreation areas that you feel like an Uber driver most of the time, right? And you land on Monday exhausted. And if you're honest, there's this great pressure, like success pressure thing tied to this whole thing that's supposed to be recreation, but it's not anymore. It's all about scholarships. It's all about advancement. And you never take a chance to pause in your life. Or you joke around and you say, hey, um, I work hard and play harder. And some of you, you, you just go, 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 go. Hey, guess what? God wasn't against recreation. He instituted a day to rest and refresh, right? Recreation's great. But here's a good symbol. When recreation begins to be burdensome, you know probably you might need to hit pause and set up a system in your life where you rest. When recreation begins to actually do damage to your family and to your relationships and your relationship with God, when you find it very hard to be part and connected with brothers and sisters in Christ and worship together with your church because of recreation, perhaps God is not the center of your life anymore, I'm just saying. It's the principle of the Sabbath. And I know, you know, it's really hard to institute this principle in our lives uh, because society just isn't set up this way any longer, is it? I mean, your phone literally is always going off. There's never an end to projects. Our work schedule, I mean, our society goes 24-7. Most of you, many of you, you don't just do Monday through Friday. You're not done, you know, Monday through Friday, 9 to 5. You work, you know, some of you work like 10 on, 3 on. You work nights, you work shifts. You're in law enforcement, you're in, you know, medicine. It's crazy. God gets that. He understands that, right? Here's the thing. This isn't some legalistic thing. 
If you choose to apply this in your life, it's not a legalistic thing. In fact, by the time Jesus came into the scene, the religious leaders took just a handful of principles around the Sabbath, and they made up 1,500 rules associated with this of what constituted work, what you could do, what you couldn't do. And when Jesus interacts with these religious leaders, a large part of what he says when you read these Sabbath conversations is, you have totally lost the whole point. Jesus said, I, the Son of Man, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. He says it's okay to do good on the Sabbath. It's okay to serve. Rest doesn't mean you sit and binge watch Netflix all day. That's okay every once in a while, right? But that's not the point. If that's all you're doing, that's not the point. The point was to connect relationally with God, to connect relationally with others, to worship him, and yes, to rest and be refreshed. And Jesus deals with these guys over and over and over again because they made the Sabbath actually, instead of the blessing it was supposed to be, they made it a burden. They made it hard for people. And so for some of you, you're like, I'm not sure how this applies. You know, I'm a, I'm a doctor. Guess what? Yeah, gets that. This isn't a legalistic thing, right? Um, I'm a stay-at-home parent. I'm not sure. Can I wait until Monday to change the diaper? <laughs> no. Your kids need to eat, you know? Kids need to eat on Saturday, okay? I'm just saying, you know? And so there, this isn't like a legalistic thing, right? Jesus says it's okay to do good on the Sabbath. Sometimes the thing that will refresh you most is coming and serving with other people taking your family out and doing something for other people. And you walk away from that and it's like, wow, I feel alive. This isn't all about you. That's the point. Life is for you, not about you, right? And so it's not a legalistic thing. In fact, um, in the New Testament, we discover that every day is holy. All of life is holy or set apart. For God, But here's the thing, before we just discard the principle of the Sabbath day of rest as something that doesn't apply to us, um, remember in scripture, Jesus was teaching in the Sabbath every day. The apostles gathered together, right? They gathered together. Now in this 24-7 culture, if you choose to apply this principle in your life, I don't think you're, you're locked into to Saturday or Sunday. In fact, you know, when the early church met, they, they met in the synagogues on, on, this, on the seventh day. And as the church began to be, spill out more into the Gentile world, and as the synagogues kicked the early believers out, really Sunday, the day of Jesus' resurrection, became to be the primary day that the, uh, that the church celebrated. But I don't think, I, I think the important thing, the truly critical thing of this is, is, is the principle. Is do you have any place in your life, any chunk of time, and there's something really interesting. I, I think it's so profound the way that the Jews, um, Jewish people celebrate this is when the sun goes down, you know, they, they have a meal together and light candles, and it's, it's really this rhythm built in, sundown to when the sun goes down the other day. It's, can you imagine in a society that all of you know is going 24-7, the idea of rest, even today in our society, doesn't that just do something for you? Some of you this season, um, as we've gone through the last six months or so, has been a little bit of a reset. 
Because before this season, you were so driven, and in this season, you were forced to slow down, and you discovered something about actually a benefit that that did for your family life. What if because of that reset, you, you took the opportunity to institute this principle and set up this principle in your life and say, you know what? In my family, we're going to have a day together where we rest, where we reconnect, where we worship God. And it's not that we never go out, you know, or never do house projects. It's not like a legalistic thing, but it's that this is the primary focus of this, Right? It looks a little bit different for all of us. So my day off right now, the day that we try, I try real hard to, to institute this in my life. And it's hard. Um, my day is Mondays, right? Because we have Saturday service, Sunday service, basically work all day Saturday. By the time I get out of here and get things tied up, it's mid-afternoon, late afternoon, usually on Sunday. Um, so we're working six days a week. And, and uh, I take Mondays. And honestly, um, what I've noticed is when I'm not good at this in my life, when I, when I let this slide off the radar, my, my soul suffers and my family, the relational dynamic suffers, right? We've structured a lot of things, um, you know, to, to make sure if Monday is a day we can have as a family. It's just something we tried hard. This was really hard for me last year. We did this major build-out remodel project. And Mondays is the day, you know, if you're trying to rest on Mondays, Monday's the day everybody else is ramping up, shooting out emails, making phone calls for the week, right? I didn't do a good job of this at all for the the majority of last year. And it was hard. I was pretty crispy fried. Pretty crispy fried, right? Some of you have experienced that. Some of you know that. Some of you are in a season now where you've been so driven that you haven't taking a chance to hit pause and you know what it's doing to your soul and your relationship with God and your your relationship with your family. This is hard to do, but it's worth it. This is hard to do, but it's worth it for your faith, for your dependence on God, for for just saying, I trust you for your health, your emotional health, for, for the emotional health of your family. We all need to hit pause. And so, as we close, is there any Sabbath in your life? Would you, would you pray about this? Would you consider this? Do you set this up? If you do, I think it will do you a world of good. I encourage you to, to give it a shot. Say, hey, for the next month, I'm gonna try this. I think it could end up being one of the best decisions you make. Would you stand? And before we close, as we close, I just want to say um, there's this really neat passage in Hebrews in, in the New Testament that talks about our opportunity to enter into God's rest. And as much as I'd like to see all of you and those joining us online, um, you know, have this extra level of health in your relationship with God and your relationship with others and your dependence on God, the thing that's even more critical than that is to see you enter into rest with God by faith in Jesus Christ. That's what the author of Hebrews talks about. That the way you really enter into rest where you're not striving, thinking, how can I earn favor with God on my own? But you enter the rest of knowing, ah, I'm his child, I'm his son, or I'm his daughter. And you do that by trusting Jesus, by placing your trust in Jesus. What we saw through baptism was a symbol of people whose lives have placed their trust and have entered into the rest of God.
And so for those of you that maybe are in the room or maybe joining us online here today, I want to give you an opportunity to do that as we close in prayer. And you can do that. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes, just by praying a simple prayer like this. Lord Jesus, I know that I've sinned. I cannot make it to God on my own. I confess my sin, Lord, and I want to turn to you. I believe you're the son of God, that you died and rose again for me. I put my full faith and trust in what you did for me when you died on the cross and rose again. Welcome me into your family. Give me eternal life, Lord. I want to turn my life to you and live for you. Lord, for all my other friends, I just pray pray that you would give them faith and courage and that they would experience as they begin to, to recognize and hit pause at moments in their life, that they would begin to recognize your rest, your peace, and just to see this incredible provision that they get more done, accomplish more, with more life and peace in it, Lord. We pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus. And everybody said? Amen. Amen.